Welcome to Let's Have a Cuppa. My name is Anna Nob, and every week I sit down and chat with one of my friends and talk about just some of the things that make them awesome. So grab a cuppa. This week we'll be talking about human trafficking. Uh, so just be aware, we're not going to be getting like into the nitty gritty things, um, but just in case you have little ears around and questions. Uh, but allow me to introduce you to my friend. She's a wife, a mama, and truly one of the most driven women I know, Jordan Pine. Oh, thank you so much, Anna. It's exciting to be here with you. Yeah, I uh, when I first decided to do the podcast, you were absolutely at the top of list of people that I needed to talk to uh, because our common thread is not that just not just that we went to church together, um, but we worked together. Uh, and anti-human trafficking, and I say worked, but it still continues. We we definitely do still stuff, do yep. stuff together, um, and we work in human traffic, anti-human trafficking here in Central Pennsylvania. <laughs> I always have to distinguish that one because confuses people. Oh man, um, it's a good one. It, yeah, and uh, so we're going to start at the beginning here with you a little bit. Um, you went to college at Messiah. Yeah which most Pennsylvanians are probably familiar with. And what did you go for? I did. So I studied politics and then minored in criminal justice. Um, and then, yeah, so that's actually where I met my husband and Messiah has um, just a lot of history for us. Yeah, yeah. Did you always know that you wanted to work in the anti-human trafficking realm uh, because a lot of people probably would think maybe social work or psychology and going that direction but you obviously didn't yeah took a little <laughs> bit of a different route um so I did there was always this passion to combat human trafficking it actually started for me when I was in uh, as I look back I think it was about eighth grade maybe seventh or eighth grade so somewhere in middle school and was attending a youth conference. And I'll never forget that there were these missionaries from India that were there. And as they were sharing about this, this issue that they were working on in their village, um, they were discussing just how they would be in the marketplace and they would see children that would be at the side of the road. And, you know, unlike what we see in the United States, and I think it's important to recognize that trafficking can, you know, the concept is the same, but methods are very different in different locations and countries. Yeah. And Anna, you're, you're well aware of this, <laughs> um, but putting this out there for others. And so in this village in India, where these missionaries were serving, um, it was not uncommon for a family to sell a child to put food on the table. And so to break that child's spirit, what was often done in that uh, particular area was these children would be chained up and sometimes put in cages and just some of the most barbaric methods used. Yeah. Now, the missionaries explained this in a very age appropriate way, sure. but it was something that never, never left me. And just yeah. this idea that there, there are families out there having to choose which child is being sold so that they could then provide for the other children within the home. And that, that stuck with me at that point in time and became a concept that I wanted to learn more about and dig into. And at that time, I'll, I'll, so I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. I married yeah. <laughs> into it again. My husband is a pastor. And so, um, so ministry runs thick, uh, in our family. Yes. And so, you know, I'm grateful for parents that didn't shy away from that conversation and say, mm -hmm. Ooh, you know, it's scary. It's, it's pretty yeah. touchy to talk about, but rather they really, cultivated an environment where I could explore what that was and ask questions. So as missionaries were coming off the field, I was able to engage with them on this topic. 
And it was one for me at that point in time, there really were not jobs in human trafficking. It was still a concept that was not talked about. In fact, by, I was told by very well-intended people in the church that if I talked about human trafficking, I would be trafficked. And that was one where I'm like, that sounds okay. logical. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, you know, my personality type, but it was almost like a challenge accepted moment. Yes. And just grew into it. So I wasn't really sure where, where trafficking would fit vocationally, um, very quickly realized during college and post-college that there are not jobs in this field, or at that point in time, there were not many jobs in the field. It is, it is a growing field. So we are seeing more and more cropping up at that point in time, it was nearly non-existent. Mm -hmm. And so, um, grateful again for just the, the mentors and my parents who really pulled out the strengths in me. And I realized that, um, with my personality type, something like politics, I'm understanding the strategy and the systems at play and how can we influence those for freedom, um, really drove my studies in politics and criminal justice. And then recognizing, okay, there are other components. This is where team, the team really comes into play of everyone's different strengths that that can be highlighted to, to do what we do. So Anyway, that was, that was a long answer for you, but no, that's you're fine. my background. <laughs> no, that's great. And I, it's one of the things that I have always just loved about you is um, you do just have such a deep seated passion and heart for um, this problem. And I think what's incredible about you and the team and you know, uh, even like Amy Thurston, who I know is on the board and we're all very good friends with, um, is that we have true belief that change can happen. Um, and that happens at so many different levels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it goes from the politics and the criminal justice, you know, we often talk about the struggle of, you know, the Johns, the people who are, purchasing the people who are participating, you know, they deserve forgiveness and compassion and empathy just as much as, you know, the victims. And that's, you know, a hard thing for us to grow in. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I want to come back around to Nick and your husband. I love Nick. He's hilarious. We've had some <laughs> great times around the campfire at your house. Um, and one of the things that I've always admired about you guys um, is just how all in the two of you are for each other. Uh, and Nick is in ministry. And I mean, truly, you are, too, with him and as well as Greenlight. Um, what was it like coming to him at, you know, you guys had been married super long. You founded Greenlight, I think, of what, like 25, not even? I I think 23. Yeah, 23. <laughs> yep. Um, what was that like coming to him going, I think I would like to start a nonprofit from the ground up? <laughs> yeah. So now Nick and I, we met, um, we we were your typical ring by Springers at Messiah. <laughs> and we met actually just two weeks into my my college career. So Nick was a couple years older than I was and studying um, cross-cultural ministry. And I came in as a, a first year and it was wild how our paths crossed. So his brother was actually there on campus early because he was a transfer. So we were all there for the orientation week. And because Nick and his brother lived about four hours from campus, he was also there early just because of, you know, driving and everything else. So 
Yeah, logistics, right? So it worked out that he was actually there during my welcome week at Messiah, which is when they would do all those orientations. And we met very early on, started dating about sometime within that first month and <laughs> rest is history. So we were college sweethearts. Um, and Nick just early on, he knew, he knew what was passion, you know, my passion was we shared yeah. really just from it, we were probably a little intense in the approach, but just, it was one of those, we don't want to waste time committing yeah. to a relationship and a person. If we really are not seeing this aligning in the long-term, yeah. you know, as far as goals and overall, um, you know, vision and what God has called us to. And so we both had, uh, what, what really drew us together was just a heart for ministry. And we knew that that might change and look different in time, but you know, his passion was through that evangelism and discipleship and soon, you know, later morphed into, as we worked with young adults and, and youth, um, having a heart for that and mine was trafficking it was kind of like this idea of, okay, little, little intense and scary, but he never, <laughs> he never made me feel like it couldn't be accomplished. In fact, um, between Nick and my, my family, uh, they were my biggest cheerleaders and advocates when at times, you know, I even doubted myself and thought this, this is just impossible. There's no way. Um, I mean, we were a little uh, crazy at the beginning there. <laughs> it was a little crazy. It definitely was. And it's like this, this can't happen. And I think I, I became my own worst critic. Um, but he has always championed that. And I think, you know, time together, cultivating that relationship over the, the similar, you know, mission, missional heartbeat is what we have had and intentionally cultivated in our relationship to then, you know, our time in prayer together. And there were things that God would speak to me and, and would speak to Nick separately in our prayer lives. And then when we'd come together and share, Hey, you know what, this is what I feel the Lord is sharing you know, he's not going to pull a husband and wife apart. <laughs> and For sure. Yeah. And it was one of, it was just so confirming and amazing to see how he was confirming things in both of our prayer lives on the various steps that we were taking in, in, you know, Nick's ministry within the church context and then mine through green light operation and how they were really blending together. And it was one of those of like, all right, buckle up because this, this is going to happen. <laughs> um, and it did. And so I can't say that hasn't, you know, been without it. So, you know, of course, uh, your, your sacrifices and, you know, yeah. be nice to have a little bit more free time or right. time to relax. <laughs> now that can come with the intentionality and prioritizing rest. And we, we certainly strive to do sure. that, but, um, but just, yeah, super grateful for that's a little bit of our, our history and what drove them into that then. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys, um, Nick is in youth ministry. Um, and obviously you are doing Greenlight and there's a lot with that. If, if anybody has been involved in ministry in any capacity, even if you're not a pastor or pastor's wife or anything, you know that it takes a lot of commitment. And typically, even if it's only one person in the family, kind of quote unquote, in ministry, it is a family thing. You know, you have to make sure your schedules are aligned. Oh, you have practice. You yep. have this. You have to be there oh, the event starts at seven, but you've got to be there at 530 for setup. Like you're always adding on to, you know, oh, the event may be three hours, but we all know it's going to be seven. Like, yes, yep, exactly. And, and building that out. Um, you have one little one and you have your second one on the way. Yes. Uh, we are girl mom central over here between the yes. two of us. Team girl. Uh, how, <laughs> and Oh my gosh. So stinking cute too. Um, how, what has been a challenge as far as adding 
to your family and still continuing to juggle and, you know, keeping up with the things really. Absolutely. So, oh man, the art of delegation has become a necessity (laughs) as well as prioritizing it. And Nick and I joke, um, it felt like the the first six month, months with Rosemary, um, she's our, our first and, and as Anna mentioned, we've got the second on the way. Um, we we would have almost like a team huddle where it was usually yes. sometime, sometime on the weekend. It was like, yes. okay, here, here is, you know, where we need to have coverage. Okay. You've got a meeting at this time. I've got a meeting at this time. How are we overlapping it? And a true, true godsend was my parents who had been living on the Western side of the state, um, moved over toward the York area, which is about 30 minutes from where Nick and I are. So to finally, you know, have family members nearby grandparents, um, when Nick and I don't have that, that ability where both of our our schedules are maybe overlapping, where we both have, we both have an event one night and we both have a meeting and we can't, you know, uh, be there, which doesn't, doesn't happen all the time. We've been very intentional on how we schedule that. So at least one parent is, is home. Uh, but in those moments when it's unavoidable, it is wonderful to have grandparents nearby who can assist us. And I think being willing to ask for the help when we need it has been huge. Um, our priorities have certainly changed in what we considered priorities, uh, (laughs) pre-children priorities, post-children. It's like, Oh my goodness. I, I didn't think I had a lot of extra time, but now that we're living in the life of children and both running our ministries, it's like, wow. Okay. We, we definitely had more time than we ever realized. Um, but yeah, really just prioritizing communication is huge. Um, for us, we, we do a lot of calendaring together and then also calendaring in time of rest and ensuring that we have, whether it's a Saturday or a specific evening in the week, depending on what is doable, um, keeping that, you know, just, uh, family time and really, really intentionally guard that those moments. So, um, it's a lot of work to, to work through those schedules. They, they look a little scary, but it's doable. (laughs) And, and we've been making it work. <laughs> I I laugh because when I was uh, on the green light team, I was the first one of us to have kids. And I remember we had a big meeting and I, I think it might've been, it wasn't Athena, it had to have been Nora. And uh, you were like, oh, I didn't realize you'd be bringing her. And you, you weren't mad, but you were just kind of like surprised by it. And I was like, well, I, we are still breastfeeding and I can't really quite leave her yet. And you, and I think you might've been pregnant with Rosemary and you thought, oh, that's, that's something that like, I'm, I'm probably going to have to think about it coming up here too. And it's, uh, it's fun to not, not in an, I tell you, told you so way at all, but it's just fun to like watch the team grow and like seeing you go through you know, just that transition to motherhood and how that's kind of changed you and your interaction with everything. Um, and in some ways, it it makes working in human trafficking, it drives the passion um, when you have yes. children. Yes. Because um, I'm sure you and I are familiar with it. Other people listening may be um, aware of she's somebody's daughter. Yep. Um, and that concept of that, like, you know, you're not just buying a thing. It's not an it, it's not a product. This is, this is a real human being. And, um, I know at least for me, when I started working with green light and in anti-human trafficking, um, that was part of it. I had a daughter and 
I had a child and I wanted to make a difference. And that saying, you know, you may know, but you can't ever now say, you know, I don't know and yeah. not do anything about it. Uh, but I'll, oh, were you going to say something? Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's very true. It, it yeah. is. It definitely adds that layer. Yeah. Drive. But along those lines of joy, bundles of joys here, um, what are some things that have just brought you joy in working with human trafficking? Because it's such a such a dark and sketch topic that people want to avoid. They don't realize how much joy there can be in it. Yeah, no, it really can be. And, you know, one of the things recently we've been challenging people with is it's very easy to get caught in the numbers and the statistics looking mm -hmm. at you know, there was a recent update of the number of estimated, you know, victims worldwide. They're looking at 49.6 million victims, which is um, just a, a massive jump from where we were at 40.3 million. Yeah. Um, and with that, we're seeing less than 1% are now being rescued, where previously the Department of State estimated 1% were being rescued. So those yeah. numbers can definitely be challenging. And I know we get the the question of, um, at times, you know, is it worth it? Do you feel like you can actually invoke change and and do um, and, and make a difference? And my answer is always yes, because even though those numbers can feel overwhelming, each one of those numbers represents a life. And we have to start with the one. And we've got that motto. And Anna, you're, you're very familiar with it of we put into the one what we would the thousands. And yeah. so when we, we have that one person who reaches out during a seminar or as a result of a seminar or a teacher. Uh, <laughs> comes forward and says that they they recognize that a child that they have in their classroom is displaying signs of being groomed and seasoned yeah. and they're starting to pick up on signs that previously were not being recognized because they weren't educated on the topic. Um, those are huge victories where yes, it can be overwhelming to see the research, see the statistics, to actually be present when there is a, you know, a survivor that is going through her story and, and sharing the deep pain. There's a lot of hurt um, in this industry. There can be a lot of what we call secondary trauma or vicarious trauma that, that happens for, from those that happens to those who are caring for the individuals that have been exploited because the topic is dark. The content and what you're dealing with is very, very dark. And that's something we work to safeguard our team from and, and myself and just even how do I compartmentalize this? How do I process it? Um, now, while there is a lot of darkness and there can be discouragement when you have those victories of, okay, that seminar made a difference because that student was recognized or, you know, that booth that we had at this community event allowed for this victim to realize that there are resources available to her and she can get help. Yeah. Um, and, and I've got actually a jar up in my, my room that was given to me by a survivor advocate of just. Um, it was so sweet after some interaction and working with her, she hand wrote little, little notes of encouragement of just, um, you know, just it, thankfulness for, for having been able to work with her and share her story and things like that. Yeah. And I look at that jar, I keep it in my bedroom. And it's one of those things of, um, we don't always get to know where that person ends up. We just play yeah. a part in their story. Um, but to have those little moments and I, uh, you know, even just for that one person to express that sort of gratitude, it's, it, it makes it all worth it. So, yeah, I, um, I've worked with, uh, some victims 
for survivors, I should say, really, um, in recent months, there was one we actually had, she was coming and helping me as a mother's helper. And um, we, along with, uh, well, really hope, inspire, love, and then we helped get her some stuff for her first apartment. And, you know, people don't realize that um, they, there are so many successes yeah. and there really are just so many joys. Um, there is joy in events, right? We have so yeah. much fun at events We did, uh, and just seeing people's heart and excitement and, mm -hmm. you know, people feel like it is hopeless. They're overwhelmed by the numbers that they can't do something. And then they realize they can do something like come to the art fest and buy beautiful art from local artisans and they're like I can do that yes. uh, yep. or you know the run for restoration I can hand out water bottles right mm. um and it's it's exciting when you see people have that realization that something that feels so silly and so little um can have a lasting impact and really make an impact to what you're doing and the work that's happening here in central Pennsylvania um, but of course, with joys, there are challenges. Uh, what is something that has been really challenging for you working in human trafficking? Hmm. Challenging. I think, oh goodness. I think just keeping the main thing, the main thing, you know, why, why do we do what we do? And, um, again, to that point of the numbers can feel overwhelming and focusing on that one, but, um, I, I think celebrating, the small victories, as much as you celebrate the big victories are huge. And especially with a, an issue that can be so heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I think, let's see areas is, I would say maybe some discouragement at times can be when, yeah. you know, you're working with a law enforcement official and they're denying that human trafficking is happening within their region. Yeah. When you're well aware of victims that have come forward from those mm -hmm. specific areas. And so whether it's something like, outright denial that it's happening and almost this, I want to bury my head in the sand Yeah. or sometimes too, a survivor that you engage with who, well, I guess since they're not willing to leave they they would still be considered a victim, but a victim who's not willing to leave their trafficker, um, mm -hmm. whether that be as a result of Stockholm syndrome or, uh, the idea that, you know, there's nothing better for me beyond this. I'm used yeah. to it. At least I know it's coming to me. Whereas the unknowns may be a little bit more scary mm -hmm. or service providers have failed them in the past because they, they didn't have the, um, consistent services that were needed, or, uh, it didn't go as deep into meeting those specific needs of what's required, which is why we're super, super intentional about building a good foundation for a restoration home and program. So that, you know, we recognize we're going to make mistakes too, but yeah. we want to ensure that we're considering the full scope of a person. There are so many different elements that make a person who they are, especially yeah. then too, when we're trying to help rebuild that personhood and, and deal with the trauma at the same time, um, a lot to consider. So anyway, I think those, those are probably some recent ones that we have gone through. Um, yeah, just sometimes that denial that it's happening or, or someone yeah. else help and you're like it's right here just take yeah. it yeah right. we're telling you we have we have the information we have the people yeah. we're, not, yeah. we're not kidding this isn't something to joke about like yeah can't make it up um how has working with in greenlight operation and just uh human trafficking in general how do you feel like that's really impacted your faith in the last few years hmm. oh goodness i think 
as far as faith, for me, watching this process of growing green light has really been a faith builder because there are times when what, what next steps are needed. Essentially they're so out of my hands where it's like, Lord, we have got to pay for this and we need the money. <laughs> I don't know who to go to for this. You know, at yeah. the time of starting green light, I was 23 years old. I didn't have a broad network of no seed money there. <laughs> business owners. I was dirt poor. Like I'm like, Lord, where is this coming from? But it, those are truly the moments when we can't do it. And it's beyond our capacity where we get to see how God works and he provides and, you know, Nick, Nick, man, he is such an encourager. Um, those moments when I'm frustrated, I'm like, oh, man, I want to get to this next stage. We need, you know, $50,000. I don't, I don't know where it's going to come from. We just got, you know, denied for a grant or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, um, you know, just having that person, whether it's a spouse or a close friend, mentor, whatever that might be, I would just encourage um, you guys to have like someone who's encouraging you because uh, that for me is Nick. And he's just like, Jordan, look at what God has provided. This is his ministry. He's not going to let it fail. We're going to keep being faithful in what he's called us to be faithful in, but where God needs to do God's work, we let him do it. And we don't force his hand. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like, and for doers, that is so hard. Which is the hardest part for us. Yes. But it's like, all right, yep. I've done what needs to be done. Now it's just waiting and and just, uh, and seeking the Lord. And and I, I've shared this recently with some people there. I'm glad that God didn't answer our prayer a few years ago to have a home when we wanted it, because I don't think we would have been ready or realized no. even <laughs> the magnitude of work that goes into yeah. it. Um, I, I just think back to myself of who I was three years ago. And there was that passion, that zeal, but I have learned so much in three years that I didn't know then. For sure. How do we have the home and open it when we were wanting to, I don't think our community was ready. I don't think our volunteers were ready, our team, myself. Um, and so all right, God, yeah, you definitely know what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. Having been been part of that core team, I actually, I was thinking about that myself as you were getting ready to, ready to talk. And, um, I was talking to somebody else. They were asking about, uh, the restoration home and, uh, I, I had the same thought. I was, you know, I probably drove you crazy saying we're operating in harvest here. Like we could wake up tomorrow and somebody is bequeathing us their grandma's home. And like, we have a home. And so it wasn't totally not a bad line of thinking to have. And I think that, um, it it was a very realistic thought. We know organizations that that has happened to, um, but I, I completely agree with that. I think God's timing is just always perfect. And whether that is meeting your spouse at the right time when they're not supposed to be there, that's how Ethan and I actually kind of cross paths again. Yeah, he was, um, he was on campus moving his sister in. He wasn't even supposed to be on campus and I was getting ready to start student teaching. I wasn't supposed to be on campus. I just was like filling out paperwork and we crossed anyway. Um, God's timing is just always better. And he knows our needs he knows where we need to grow (laughs) yeah um and he knows where you know the team needs to grow and changes that need to be made in all of us and dynamics and one of the coolest things for me looking you know kind of back and forward right now is um one of our interns one of my one of my first babies is now in my position as the operations coordinator, um, which just warms my heart more than I can tell you. You know, that's always kind of the goal is to bring up 
and you know have the next ones kind of pass on the mantle to a degree. Um, and so it's just been a true joy and privilege to see all of that happening uh, since I stepped back to go back to teaching more. Uh, but and then almost right after that happened, of course, I laugh now, uh, you guys got the restoration home. So I would love for you to tell us a bit about that. Um, tell us some of those needs and kind of where we're at right now with that. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh man, it it was wild. So as we think back to the the past few years and what the real estate market looked like, what oh. life in general has looked like, starting a nonprofit in 2018. I forgot about the nightmare that was COVID, honestly. Oh I yeah. It, out. it was wild. It was wild. So we 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 launched in May of 2018. Actually, we're gonna come up on our five-year year anniversary here yeah. um very soon. And so when we launched, of course, nobody's anticipating a pandemic. We launched into a capital campaign wanting to raise funds for the restoration home. And then also, of course, it's one thing to purchase. It's another thing to have the program fully developed and ready to go. Right. And uh, yeah, we, we, of course, hit COVID not too long after that real estate market was insane. And so I, it, this house is truly a miracle house. While, while we did not have a home that was just given to us, we were praying for that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We were praying for it and hoping we'd have a home that would just be given or, um, somebody would just write out a check and say, here you go. But I think it, it taught us grit and stamina and, and what it looks like to, you know, to budget and steward funds, um, by raising that, you know, throughout the, that few year, year period, and so it was actually a Sunday afternoon after church. I got a text message from one of our volunteers that said, Jordan, this house just hit the market. It is beautiful. You should consider looking at it for the restoration home. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. And I'm like, I'm looking at it. And I start looking at it a little bit more. My jaws like starting to drop. <laughs> like, this is literally checking all of the boxes that yeah. we had. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, praying. And I'm like, all right, Lord, if this is a home for us, this is now at the heat of the market. We were post the quarantine season. And this mm -hmm. was, this was May of, or actually the time we would have seen it, it would have been April of um, 2022. 22, yeah. And uh, one of those of, we, we were really in the, the heat of this insane real estate market. So it's almost like you don't want to get your hopes up too much because houses were going in for multiple bids and yeah. offers. And while it might, that's when we were house searching, isn't that? Yeah. yeah. It was just wild. It's almost like this. I don't, I want to, I don't want to get too excited. We did have to um, take out a mortgage on it, which, which is okay. We had enough for a great down payment yeah. and it's, it's a sustainable amount and everything else. But we were having to work then through a commercial loan process, which in a competitive market to have something that takes a little bit Very longer of a process yeah. it, to sellers are they're a little bit uneasy. And so um, it was a wild story. God was all through it. The sellers really thought there would be a lot of other offers and bids because for the size of the home, they started yeah. relatively low. And mm -hmm. uh, we committed that we were not going to go over what that, that price was. We wanted it to ask him grace. And we're like, Lord, if this is it, let it stay here. We, we can't get into this bidding war and, um, so on and so forth. And so it was a process. It was not, uh, I can't say it was like, wow, super easy. And it was a breeze. It was a lot of work. <laughs> it was yeah. a lot of like, oh my goodness, is this actually going to work out? Um, and it did. There were no other offers that came forward. We got the bid. Um, anyway, it all worked out. So 
we buy the house. Since we've purchased the home, we've had 14 teams come out to volunteer and serve within our restoration home, which is we're counting up how many participants were to each work day. We're looking at about 275 to 300 volunteers. Amazing. It's amazing coming in from all over the place, including out of state. We've had some Maryland groups, yeah. and Ohio groups some from all over <laughs> Pennsylvania. We completed courses with the Institute for Shelter Care, which is a an inter, sorry, it's a national group that essentially specializes in equipping organizations to launch shelters that serve survivors of sex trafficking. Yeah. And some of those shelters might be short term, some might be long term, some may serve children, women, men. They have you know something for everybody and are really investing in those foundational elements, which is yeah. huge. So completed that. That was 180 hours of in-person training. Yes, it was. (laughs) It was amazing. Went through that. And so now where we are is we are finalizing our capital campaign. We're working to raise $435,000 so that we can bring on the right staff, finish our renovations. And um, the reality is survivors are going to cost money. You know, we get the home ready, we get the program ready, but survivors are going to need food. They're going to need clothing. They're going to need the utilities within the home. When they're showering, nobody wants to take a cold shower or without heat. Um, So these are all things that um, these funds will be going toward. And so that'll be launching. um, Or our hope is that we'll launch the home in 2020, sorry, 2024, if we are meeting our fundraising goals. Um, And there's some more exciting things that'll be coming down the pike that folks will be seeing here soon. But we also have the run for restoration happening on yes. May 20th. And we're really excited about that. That'll all go toward the home as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, the Art Fest is in the fall, like usual. So we actually discontinued the Art Festival. I know, that day. <laughs> it was a phenomenal event. But just with, we recognized um, coming out of COVID and just essentially as we recognized the the return for the amount of time and everything going into it, we decided to redirect that event into a gala. So um, that that will be happening in October. We had our first one this past October. Um, We're looking forward to our second one coming up here in the fall as well. So you guys can stay tuned for that. Yeah, wonderful. I will have uh, links in the show notes all about the restoration home. I know that you guys have a wish list. Uh, I will make sure that wish list is posted. Um, please make sure that you follow Greenlight Operation on Facebook, Instagram. I'll have all of those posts there. Um, Jordan, always great to chat with you. Uh, the last quick question that I have, because the podcast is called Let's Have a Cuppa, uh, I know that you and I have this in common often. What is your favorite thing to have in your cup? Oh, goodness coffee. I'm sorry. It's not tea, even though we're going with a cup of, but okay. Oh goodness. I love, I love a good cup of coffee lately. It's been mochas. Um, I've been on like a chocolate craze. So pregnancy, who knows, maybe that'll change. (laughs) Yes. Our team's always been coffee people. So I'm not surprised by that answer at all. I figured I, it's my survival juice. I live on it. God bless. God bless. The Lord (laughs) bless the person who like was given the inspiration to grind some beans up. That's all I'm saying. So true. So true. (laughs) Jordan, thank you again for coming on and chatting with me. It is an honor and a privilege to call you a friend and a colleague um, and just to continue to see the extraordinary work that you are doing. Well, it's so good to see you, Anna. I always love catching up and connecting and, and thank you too to everyone who's listened and if you guys have any questions or want to check out Greenlight Operation, as Anna mentioned, there will be some links and we would love to connect. 
All righty. Thanks, guys. Have a wonderful week. Bye.